Hi there, my name is Shan Mercer from My Rural Tribe. I am a photographer, writer and podcaster. I love to meet and talk to our great British farmers. They offer me so much inspiration, knowledge and an insight to their lives and I want to share this with you. So let's plough on and meet today's guest. Hi there, so uh, I am sat in a field in Meriden, so literally in Middle Earth with Charlie Beatty, who is the globe-trotting farm girl of Instagram. Um, I met Charlie last year, I think it was, and I came to do some pictures with her with the NSA and AHDB Love Lamb Week, so, and then I've been just following her since then, and uh, just wanted to come and have a chat with her um, about all things farming really so thank you for letting me come and sit in your field with you <laughs> you're welcome so uh, Charlie tell me um, how long have you been farming um, so ever since I was born it's the farm has been in the family for we're tenants we don't own just for that out there um, my granddad took on the tenancy in the late 1950s and uh, yes yeah, so I'm the third generation here so pretty much ever since I was born I've been around the farm um, when I was little I'd have quite a lot to do with the sheep side of things because obviously being a lot smaller than the cattle you can have a little <laughs> and running around there um, and as I've grown up I've shown I've taken more of an interest in obviously the cattle and then the arable as well so we're a mixed farm we're beef sheep and arable and I really love the mix it's kind of what keeps me interested I guess I wouldn't want to just stray down one of those enterprises yeah I like the mix and it keeps me busy all the year round so all year round yes that sounds great so as a child then growing up on the farm so you were you like encouraged to come out or was it just like part of life that you had to come out and do jobs or did you just love it massively encouraged um and I, I loved it as well I always wanted to be out and about I've never really been one for sitting still um even now I don't like sitting still so I've not grown out of that one um my granddad used to take me shepherding quite a lot when I was little um you know, health and safety would have a fit about it now, but we'd take the pickup out and we'd have hay in the back of the pickup over winter when we were feeding the ewes up before lambing or something. And as kind of a two, three-year-old, he'd pop me in the driver's seat while he put it into first or second gear and let it tick over. <laughs> he'd stand on the back and chuck the ewe nuts or the hay off the back. So, um, well, and you were steering. Yeah, I was steering. So I hit a water trough one time, and bearing in mind, I was, yeah, no way I could see over the steering wheel, or even know what I was doing. Yeah. Um, and when it came to explaining what happened, it was oh well, Charlie was driving. The three-year-old was I driving. Know. Come on. So, um. So yeah, but but yeah, always been encouraged. Always loved it. So um, you know, at lambing time, we're always back. And as I got older you know finishing school at the end of the day we finished at about the same we'd get home at about the same time that we do the afternoon feed when we're lambing uh, and they're all indoors yeah so it's kind of how quick can you get changed and get there before dad's finished it so yeah um and like sitting on the tractor and the combine and oh when you, when yeah going out over summer um because you know like i think for for some kids maybe um you don't see your dad whether it be your dad or your mum who's doing the farming um, you don't see them so much over harvest because they're busy, but actually, um, oh, dogs have just seen a rabbit. Off we go. Oh, sat right by the rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. Um, but actually, we were always out and about with them. So, mm. you know, we'd go and sit on the tractor with dad, like, or whether he was cultivating or whatever. So, yeah, always been really involved. And also the farm. So we we operate kind of out of like 
two farms kind of oh, okay um but we are the main hub so we've got the main hub and then we've got another farmhouse and two sheds but yeah we we're, we're we're the main hub here so oh, okay um always everything going on yeah i've never really thought about the like we say you like you sort of growing up more with your parents and it does make obviously obvious sense and um yeah i just sort of that joy of so my dad worked on an arable farm and so harvest was quiet we didn't see much of him we sort of knew he'd been home by the thunderbugs in the bed and <laughs> but we'd always go and take him his dinner in the evening yeah. um and just uh, and go and have a run on the combine and have a little you know drive that round so that's always fun yeah. Did you did you always want did you want to come back to the farm? Was that like your career path? I, um, I wanted to be a vet when I was little um, for quite a long time. Um, I I didn't try hard enough in school, so that kind of answered up that one. But uh, yeah, I always knew I wanted to be involved in agriculture, whether you know whether it was wanting to be a farm vet or yeah or, or whatever. I you know even when I was kind of early teens, I knew that I was always going to be heavily involved in agriculture when I when I grew up. Yeah. And I think that probably helped in that I was very involved with young farmers as well. So everyone around me also did. Um, but yeah, I, I just always knew. I always knew there was going to be some sort of tie. I maybe didn't think that I would come home and farm. Yeah. But I always knew I was going to have a tie. So yeah, and now I am very tied. <laughs> yes. <yeah. laughs> in a good way though. Yeah. In a good way. <laughs> so what changed then? What, what uh, changed the uh, you coming home to farm? And when was that decision made? Or uh, Probably quite recently, really. Um, so as part of my university degree, I had to do a placement year and I worked for class on my placement year. I was dealership based, so I was very hands on. I was mainly assisting with the sales team and um, driving demonstration models out for them and that kind of thing. You know, tractors, telehandlers, cultivation kit, combines. Um, and then they offered me a graduate role. And I turned it down because I wanted to travel. So they put me in touch with Landpower, which is the company that owns the class franchise out in Australia and New Zealand. And I went out originally, um, it was meant to be for six months to go and work for them. And I think I was about five weeks in and I was like, oh, six months is not going to be long enough. (laughs) So I spent the first six months in Australia, I spent working for Landpower. Um, I was running a class Lexian combine harvester demonstration program which was incredible and I loved every second and you know I had the full responsibility of it and it was great I met some amazing people I learned so much Mm. Um, and then I also spent three weeks in New Zealand which was a bit of a last minute thing and I went and drove a tractor and set of mowers over there for them so you know they just rang me and were like oh we need a driver in New Zealand you don't fancy it I was like oh gosh you've really twisted my arm here yeah I'll do it (laughs) so um went over and did that and then I worked on a stock property for about four months um and that was in central New South Wales so this was in the middle of their the big drought oh gosh some places are still massively in drought but um they have had rain since which is amazing but I, it just massively opened my eyes. I've never seen anything like it. it you know, I, oh, I can't even describe it. It was just dust everywhere. Yeah. Um, so that was a real eye-opener. I loved it. It was hard. Um, and then I went back to working. Oh, I went to work for a customer, a class customer. Oh. I went and drove for them for a bit. Yeah. And then I went back to work for class in and did another demo tour in South Australia. Um yeah and then worked a bit more and 
I came home in April of last year, so April 2019. Oh, so it's just only recent yeah, home, really. Yeah, and I've been home since. Um, kind of been unsure, and I, I came home with the view of kind of, well, you know, there's enough for me to do on the farm, you know, I can make myself useful, and I don't have that pressure of having to find a job now. Yeah. I can wait until something I want to do comes up. And I think the longer I've spent at home, the more I'm like, well, do I want to go elsewhere? <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I do, I really enjoy it. And I am having a lot more say in things now. And it's like the sheep is the main one because it's the smallest enterprise and it's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's probably easier for dad and my uncle Tom um, to let me take the reins a bit more mm. there because it's not such a financial tie. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm now having more of an influence in the arable. Like I, I'm very, very interested in regenerative agriculture. Oh, I just fantastic. think it's, I think it's the way we need to go. I don't think agriculture has a future without it, which um, I kind of broke to my dad a while back. And yeah, the look on his face was not the most impressed one. And I put him onto an audio book, um, to a book called Dirt to Soil by Gay Brown. And I, I downloaded that. I've listened to it twice now and I've read it once as well and I got him listening to that and he's really done a bit of a u-turn with it so oh, wow, which is amazing so yeah um and Tom is also coming around to the idea a lot you know it's it's a really big thing because we're tenants we still have to pay the rent every year yeah. you know we don't own the land with no mortgage so we do have that overhead that we have to we have to make that profit each year to be able to cover our rent so to suddenly look at the way you're farming and look at the potential for completely changing the way you do things when it does I, I won't say it does work it doesn't necessarily because it doesn't work every year you know we've had a really bad year yeah. this year and but yeah to completely redesign the way you farm is a massive massive thing so and I I get that you know I, I do get that it is frustrating sometimes but I imagine it's even more frustrating for them to listen to me <laughs> have so, the young pup come home yeah, with her new ideas yeah, absolutely so I you know I have to rein myself in yeah. sometimes too and that so what did um the traveling um teach you and especially working on that farm in New South Wales that was under so you know years of drought so you know what did you learn from that hmm I, I find this question really hard what did mm. you learn when traveling um, or what have you brought back with you maybe it's a really hard one because it's like it's so unrelatable in so many ways out there Pro probably the mindset on risk management that's I that's something I just never really thought about now and looking at rather than looking at yields looking at margins instead so that's something I'm very focused on now and I'm getting pretty good at rather than rather than upping your yields whether it be, you know, from your beef, your sheep or your arable, um, look at your inputs and yeah. ways you can reduce those without completely undermining your yield as well. So, yeah, increasing your margins rather than increasing your yields. That's probably the one thing I've learned. Yeah, the drought in New South Wales just taught me to really look at managing risk and yeah. ways to reduce risk to your business. That was something definitely there um people management was probably another one as well um i had to deal with a lot of customers single-handedly um it's a big one yeah and especially when you're going to them as well and 
a lot of them were quite traditional minded to begin with, you know, not in, not in a nasty way or anything, but it was a shock to them to have a female coming out and driving this combine and them listening to a female on how to drive this big piece of machinery that, <laughs> yeah. and you, you know, a lot of them have been driving combines for years. So I think, I don't think it was a hard pill to swallow, but I think it was a bit of a, is she serious from some yeah. of them? Because it's still like quite traditional, yeah. isn't it? And, and it is, it's changing. It's definitely changing. And, you know, I saw attitudes change in front of me. Um, and, you know, some people would say, oh, you know, it's quite chauvinistic for them to think like that. But if that's the way, the atti- that, if that's what it takes for the attitudes to change, then I'm okay with that. Like, yeah. I'm not upset. I, it didn't upset me. It didn't get to me. It would to some people I know. Kind of, I think... The first demos I did, um, when, when the um, when the customers had questions, they would automatically automatically turn to my male colleague, who actually knew very little about the machine, hadn't really worked with them, and he was very honest about that. Um, but then, when I could answer the questions and he couldn't, the attitudes did change, yeah. and then, you know, the proof is in the pudding kind of thing when I was driving. But yeah, it did. You, they, you could see they definitely have their doubts with it. So I think, yeah, people <laughs> yeah. management was, and um, yeah, resilience maybe as well. Yeah, resilience. <laughs> resilience that's a good is one, probably isn't it? something I've definitely learned. Yeah, I think so. uh, it's sort of even just going out onto farm, isn't it? Um, either selling or like you're demonstrating. There's got to yeah. be a lot of resilience there because yeah. you are um, up against, um, yeah, you can sort of can be quite a lot of negativity or just that. Yeah. yeah, I could so. never, I could never take on a sales role full time. Like that is, that no. is hard. I think you've, you've really got to have a certain mindset. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think I could do that. I just, yeah, I, I think I know. I sort of take my hats off to those, those guys and gals that go out and sell because, yeah, I don't think I'd, um, it would be my, um, cup of tea. Cup no. of tea. <laughs> no, it wouldn't be mine either. Tell me a bit about this uh, regenerative farming then. So, I mean, it seems to, obviously we are seeing that things are changing, you know, in terms of, uh, say, subsidies. Uh, we've got more um, uh, negativity or arguments about red meat and then climate change and what have you. So how, what have you learned, what are you learning about the regenerative agriculture? So from the book, you say you've listened to it twice, read it once. Yeah, Um So I think, and, you know, and there's so many podcasts out and about as well. And there is so much, I'm, you know, I'm completely new to it. Yeah. Um, I think, I think the one thing that really struck a chord with me was why are we sustaining something that isn't at its peak? You know, why aren't we trying to regenerate it and then sustain it? Which, you know, and I, I think now I'm like, wow, that's, yeah, that, that's so true. Like I was chatting with dad the other day and he was saying, you know, but yields are constantly improving and it's like, well, yeah, yields might be, but how much is it costing to yeah. get those yields? Like, you know, are the people that are getting those top yields that are, you know, record breaking, are they actually making any money on that crop? And what is the lasting effect that it is having on the soil, on the environment? Like, is it, is that a sustainable way to farm? I don't see how it can be. No. Um, so yeah, the regenerative ag is looking predominantly at the soils and what we can do to improve them, to get the best out of them to work with the environment and with nature to produce 
in a way that is sustainable. Um, so at the moment, we've just put our first proper cover crop in. Oh. Um, so it's just in the field behind us, and it's really, really exciting. Oh, is this the one of you been putting pictures on? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty it's like excited your baby. about it. Yeah, because we were going to put in... Um, so we've... We, we, um, because of the lack of ne- the loss of neonicotinoids, we are not growing oilseed rape anymore. We planted oh, a crop this year and it failed. We luckily we only had sixty acres in. A lot of people would have had a lot more. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that failed. So we have we've now in- reintroduced beans into our rotation. Um, spring beans. So that's our break crop. And beans are obviously a legume, so they're nitrogen fixing, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, great for putting a wheat crop in afterwards. But with putting a spring crop in. You know, years ago, we would have just left the field fallow for over winter. We'd have just left it bare. Um, we might have, even, might have even sprayed it off to get rid of the weeds, and it would have been bare, bare. Yeah. Um, and this year, we were like, right, well, we might as well utilise that and put in a forage crop for either the sheep or cattle to graze. Um, so automatically, it was like, right, we'll stubble turnips. And we, you know, we've done stubble turnips before. They're a, they're a good crop to forage. Um, the sheep, the cattle love them, but they are. It's a single species crop, and once it's been grazed, it can, especially if it's a wet winter, that can be quite damaging to the soil, mm. and also it can leave the soil very, very bare. So, I suggested that we maybe look at a mixed species forage crop. Um, so we've put we've done three fields and we've done them all differently and we've put in um, a brassica mix so all all the same um, all the same species so they're all brassicas um, and that's a forage rape a stubble turnip and a kale which should be quite a quick growing we'll be able to graze that the soonest and then we've done a different mix we've done another field which is stubble turnips and vetch. Um, so hopefully having the vetch in, which is quite a good root structure and also nitrogen fixing, will be beneficial to the soil. So we'll kind of, hopefully we'll see the influence of the vetch, but I think it's going to be a bit of a longer process than that. And then in the field behind us, we've actually put a multi-species cover crop in and it's got things like um, deep rooting radish. So oh. that will hopefully help combat compaction. Yep. Um, it's got a bunch of legumes in, so it's got clover, it's got peas, it's got vetch. Um, what else has it got in it? It's got phacelia, which isn't particularly palatable. So when we're grazing it, the livestock are more likely to pick around the phacelia. But that's okay because they'll just trample it back in. So it'll be it'll go back in as organic oh, okay. matter and it also won't be leaving the ground so bare. Um, so yeah. Uh, and there's a, there's a couple of other bits in there that I can't remember off the top of my head. That sounds amazing. So, yeah, it's just trying something different. Yeah. Before. Well, um, so this week I was out doing some photos and met a chap who's big into his rotational grazing. So he's sheep and beef in Wales. And um, so just like what you said, it's not about... The, so he started with what profit would they like to make? And they've worked backwards because the only way to really make money is to save the money so we wanted yeah. to obviously take away the um you know the uncertainty of a market price or abattoir price what have you so it's like them working backwards um and like you just said it's so you know people chase the yields whereas he's chasing the margin yeah and so you know you could have that beef animal which is looking good and you think oh, we'll wait another two weeks and then we'll send it to market yeah we'll put a bit more concentrate so, into it yeah. and we'll just up 
few more kilos. So what are you actually making? So you may have like made a nice little profit, whereas now two weeks later, you've actually lost anything and you may have got a fatter animal. And then the other thing, say with the, so rotational grazing, so you're actually really utilising what you've got and he's just doing his new seed. um, So next year, Seedley, um, he's going to put, introduce plantain. So palatability, but really nice deep roots as well. Yeah. So... And so um, I've sort of just written a blog about it. One thought I had was how we're probably a few generations off now, aren't we? So like maybe our grandparents or great grandparents were still more in touch with that, you know, mixed cropping, um, knowing more about the soil, sort of more of that in tune. And then obviously had the Second World War. It was like grow, 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 yeah. uh, fertilizer, chemicals. So I'm just wondering if we've just sort of lost those couple of generations who were really as in tune with the growing. And now it's sort of coming back. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily say we'd lost them because I still think that um, that they are very in tune with what's going on. I just maybe think in a different way. Yeah, in like a yield way. And yeah. And also, I think I would be the same mindset if we didn't have the uncertainty. Like obviously the uncertainty of like subsidy payments yeah you know who know who who knows where that's going to go or how exactly they'll work um and also like chemical use we are losing chemicals at the rate of knots and we're not gaining them as quickly as we're losing them in fact we're barely gaining any so you know all these chemicals that we use to treat pests are being lost and there's nothing there to replace them so it's like well you know, we're going to have to do this a different way. Um, those chemicals aren't going to be there in 20 years' time. No. What are we going to do then? So I think it it is. And and then at the same time, you've also got to think that the chemical, so insecticides especially, when you use an insecticide, I hadn't thought about it until a while back, but when you apply an insecticide, it's not just targeting those pest species. It's not, it's not that specific. It targets anything of a similar makeup and a lot of those things of a similar makeup are your beneficials as well yeah so you know are you doing are you doing more any like is it any good or i don't like i don't think so but i i do think you need to wean yourself away from it i don't think you can just go full war yeah jump out well i was saying that with so even like in the household you know everything sort of like kills 99 percent of germs it's like yeah but 19 8.9% 8.9% of those things are probably actually really good for us, yes, like isn't probiotics it? Probiotics. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we've just like completely wiped those yeah. away. We and have it... given it a sterile environment. Yeah. yeah. And it's the same, like, as you say, isn't it? You know, it's not like it's just um, killing off that, um, I don't know, my pests, I can't that remember. Aphid. An aphid, say, beetle, is it? Yeah. But it's like taking the bees, it's taking all Yeah, uh, your you pollinators know, and like it's... your ladybirds. Ladybirds yeah. are farmers' best friends, really. Like, yeah. you know, they eat aphids for breakfast lunch and dinner and they do an amazing job oh, i remember seeing it on like david attenborough and like they're monsters aren't they oh, they're ladybird. so like pretty little ladybird um, like, don't be fooled <laughs> so they are absolute warriors yeah, so, warriors, yeah and then it? yeah bees as well oh, like, of course yeah we never cope without pollinators so well exactly so i mean that's that's fantastic though that you are also um you know that your dad is taking it on board and uncle tom as well and yeah. what have you so yeah they're both really open-minded to it and they also know fantastic. that um being in the situation we are with being the tenant and doing the contracting that we realistically need to jump on this bandwagon very very quickly yeah. before everybody else is on it and 
Yeah, and I suppose it's not like the um, it's not like you've got to turn the whole farm over within the year. It's like starting, oh, no. say, with three fields. Something yeah. actually that worked, and now we can move on to that. And and I could say there will be good years and there will be bad years, but yeah. isn't that what farming is anyway? Yeah, absolutely. One way? And it's you know, and it's it's a really hard mentality to come around with because we've got these forage crops on and they're brassicas, which are targeted by the cabbage stem flea beetle, which is the reason we lost our oilseed rape crop last uh, year. So if they can get away quick enough and they can grow quick enough, then they'll be not immune, resilient to it. Yeah. So they'll cope. But at the moment we're in this dilemma and it's like, well, you know, if we want to go down the regenerative route, we ideally would like to reduce our, or reduce or completely stop our use of synthetic fer- fertilizers and we've put this legume in with this the stubble turnips and it's like well should we be leaving it alone now and it's like oh, but that legume's not going to be fixing available nitrogen right now and i really need that stubble turnip crop <laughs> yeah. to go so it's kind of like right well well how do we do it like do we still so in the end we decided we go um what do we put i think we put on like two-thirds rate of fertile of synthetic fertilizer on and it's kind of like well is that going to be detrimental to the vetch but we do need the turnips yeah. to get away it's like oh and you know maybe we'll learn from that in the future yeah. and we'll know the answer one day but at it's, the moment it's kind of it's quite scary yeah and it's about growing confidence isn't it in it as yeah. well and thinking oh actually no we could have got away with that we could have introduced some you know different sort of forms of fertilizers yeah, if absolutely. it's like you know. absolutely yeah so you went off to university. Where did you go to university? I was at Harper Adams oh. University. I was at the best agricultural <laughs> university in the country, obviously. Longest uh, bar in the country. <laughs> <laughs> and and that is why. So, yeah, I spent... Um, many I, hours in the bar. <laughs> yeah, a lot. <laughs> yeah, too many. Um, I spent five years there. Oh, wow. Um, so I did longer than most because I... Um, which I'm ever reminded of at the moment because every, obviously everybody's getting their A-level results. Oh, yeah. Um, and what year so eight years ago I got my AS level results and I got three E's and a B <laughs> so <laughs> I mean <laughs> yeah what was they, the B in um geography <laughs> the E's were biology maths and economics which is ironic because I got an A star in maths at GCSE so uh. <laughs> I really plummeted <laughs> I think I spent my revision leave silaging so oh uh, okay yeah um and I you know for a split second I was like oh god what am I what am I gonna do now like yeah I got a scholarship into sick farm as well what happened so I really let I really let the side down there um not a full scholarship just a partial scholarship but it was a scholarship nonetheless Um, like a raise from there like oh yeah I won't be in any books (laughs) um so yeah and I thought oh my god what am I gonna do now but luckily, a friend that I'd met at the Royal Welsh Agricultural Show uh, in the Young People's Village oh. kind of came up with the answer. So she was going to Harper Adams and she was going to study on the access course, which is, you know, just it's a one year course and it is an access on to a degree. Provided you get the good enough grade in that first year, you can then go on to one of their degree or foundation degree, mm. depending on what you wanted to do and what your grade was. Um, so I, I rang up Harper Adams and I said, you know, this is my situation. This is my G- these are my GCSEs. And they were like, oh, good GCSEs. You know, why, why are you? 
uh, yep, you don't want to know my ass results. <laughs> um, and within two days, it was sorted. I was going to Harper. Oh, it was a year earlier. And, you know, I'd had my heart set on Harper anyway. Yeah. Um, I went a year earlier than I was planning on, and I I wouldn't change it for the world. I had an amazing year. I, um, It's amazing how suddenly when you're interested in the subject, uh. you perform much better. So I got onto the um, Bachelor of Science with Honours degree course and yeah I did I did my four-year degree with them um I did have a lot of fun in second year and I came out of second year with not a particularly good grade I went into my final year with my course tutor telling me that I needed to buck up my ideas and probably drop my honours so my dissertation if I was going to come out with anything decent so I obviously turned around and said no I'm still doing my honours um, and I came out with a two-one in the end. Oh, so, fantastic! Yeah, but I ba- barely scraped a third in second year. So. <laughs> wow, that's a good turnaround then. Yeah, I had to put in some hours in the library in final year. Yeah, I um I did go for an interview at Harper, so I went it was at um Aberystwyth, which was great fun. So, but I did go and look at Harper. But I, what I really liked about them was we um at that point there wasn't the access, I don't think, but they were kind of like we will take you um even if you don't have like maybe the grades that you hoped for, because if you really love the subject and are really interested yeah. in, that's where you'll thrive. And I, I thought that was always stuck with me. And I thought it's so true. Um, yeah. They were a lot more keen on the experience you had and how you come across as well. Yeah. So I guess your interview and that, and your personal yeah. statement and that kind of thing. I think they probably paid a lot more attention to that than the actual physical grades. Yeah. Because, so. um, and also, I should imagine that there are many um, farmer-sons and daughters who have applied and who maybe didn't get the grades because they were silaging, harvesting, <laughs> lambing, what have you. Yeah. You know, there's those other commitments that they've got distracted by as yeah. opposed to revising as well. Yeah, probably, yeah. I would I would say I probably wasn't the only one in that yeah. situation. But, um, and I, but I think when you're there, they know how to get the best out of you. So, yeah, um, it is a great you know, place. There's no... They're not carrying anybody through it at all. You have to do the work off your own back. But I think they maybe just know what buttons to press. Like I, I look back now and I think maybe maybe my course manager telling me to drop my honours was a bit of psychological yeah. manipulation to make me buck up my ideas. And that definitely worked. <laughs> so, That's fantastic though, that yeah. they did. And like, yeah, if they're investing in the people... But I think also like the university experience, it's like the friends you make as well yeah, and, you definitely. know, the opportunities that yeah. arise. and Yeah, my, um, yeah, a couple of my best friends are their university best friends and they're always going to be. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a really different relationship, I think, it where is. those people yeah. you meet at it uni, um, especially somewhere small. So like... Um, Aberystwyth, it was like whack words as it, they went for many names but we were all on one campus and like harper is as well isn't it so i think you you see everybody from the best the worst first thing in the morning last thing at night into yeah. the early mornings you know you're seeing everything <laughs> aren't you yeah you do. um and that's why i think that's like a bit of a different relationship from yeah, maybe those also when you actually live with the people yeah. as well so that either makes or breaks a relationship oh yeah <laughs> definitely sure. so leaving university so you're um You've been involved in Young Farmers? Yep. Um, I started Young Farmers when I was, it was just before I turned 14 and I've been involved ever since. So I have so much to thank Young Farmers for, like so much. Um, I've I've developed so many skills. I've made so many friends. I've met so many people. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm at the stage now where I 
I sometimes do feel like I'm outgrowing it a bit, um, but it's. I look at it. We've got such a great gang of juniors as well, oh, like okay. young members coming through, and I want to make sure that they get the same out of it that I did. So I know that by staying involved and you know competing and helping, that hopefully that is helping their experience from it too. So mm. yeah, you know I. I actually quite enjoy public speaking, which is one that not a lot of people say. No. And, you know, it's, it's a competition I enjoy doing. Um, and has that learned through Young Farmers? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I did the debating competition for the first time this year and I loved it. Oh. So, yeah, weird, I know. Um, it's such a great skill because being able to stand up and speak to people and put a point of view across can get you so far yeah and I get so nervous before it like I you know my legs are shaking but I love the adrenaline I I love it um and then like even the sports I um I wasn't a massively sporty one in school I like I really enjoy sports and I'm very competitive but I wasn't always like I wasn't the quickest or anything in school I wasn't the best at it so I was never on the teams, whereas with young farmers, the level's quite a bit lower. <laughs> so, um, things like netball. I hate hockey. I've, I well, only do sticks hockey. and hardballs. I know. <laughs> what kind of sane person would do that? Um, hand me a rugby ball, though, and I'm there. Yeah. So. Um, but, yeah, netball. and it, I just, I, yeah, I love, I love the competing. You learn so much from the meetings. You build up contacts. You, like your skills so I was involved in the committee from quite a young age whether it was um organizing the weekly meetings um I'm now organized um I'm now on part of the um on the finance and organization oh. committee for county yeah which is great um in final year of uni when I had to knuckle down I really realized how much I like being organized <laughs> And now Excellent. being on the FNO committee really appeals to that. Yeah. Yeah, neatly like beside me. Spreadsheets and like nice straight yeah, lines all over and, the place. Yeah, and uh, probably being in charge as oh, well. Oh, yes. Well, that's, let's get <laughs> yeah. to the crux of it. It's more about yeah. that. Yeah, I like being bossy sometimes. <laughs> so did that sort of, you know, the skills that you learned in Young Farmers, did that then appeal when you, did you have to apply for the NSA um Yes. Role. Tell us um, a bit about that. What, yeah, what is so that? The National Sheep Association. So I'd been, I'd been looking out for a while because I knew they did their next generation ambassadorship, and I'd been looking out for that. When I came home from travelling last year, I was like, right, I am going to apply to anything that interests me. I'm going to try and do as many courses as I can, and I just want to better myself because I actually miss learning from university. I, it's something I miss. Yeah. If you told me I'd say that eight years ago, I would have <laughs> laughed in your face. Um, but I do. And I'd kept my eye on the NSA because the yeah the next generation was one that I was quite keen on. And it didn't come up. And instead, they announced this Samuel Worry Memorial Award, uh, this travel bursary. So I thought, right, well, you know, I've only just come home, but let's give it a go. And I applied. And the application was you had to, so you had to tell them a little bit about yourself and then um, you had to tell them where you would go with this travel bursary and what you would study and then how you would then um, get that knowledge and information across back home in your enterprise and also to other farmers. Yeah. So with it being the National Sheep Association, it's very predominantly sheep-based. Um, and I, my application was, I felt like it was really generic. I was like, everybody's going to say they want to go to New Zealand. And I'd already been to New Zealand twice at this point, but I was like, right, well, I really want to look at ways to reduce input costs and improve profitability on sheep and beef properties. Yeah. Um, 
yeah and and I was like I don't think there's anywhere else you can really look at that and improving you know your permanent pasture to reduce your margins I don't think there's any way else you can really look at that other than New Zealand so I you know I was like right well I'm just gonna have to you know strongly express why I think this is the way like why I think this would be a good use of their burst their travel bursary and fortunately they agreed with me so fantastic um yeah so I got the travel bursary um off the back of that I then did the love lamb campaign um for AHDB which is where we met obviously um and I also started writing for the NFU so I did six months doing a monthly Uh, column with the NFU which was also great I love that um so with the NFU column as well it's target audience is the general public rather than farmers which is a really hard one to get usually because everybody that listens to you on social media is someone that actually agrees or wants to listen yeah generally so yeah the general public is quite a hard one to reach um so I love doing that that was a great experience and opportunity um and then in January this year so start of January I flew out to New Zealand for six weeks and I farm toured it was a busman's holiday I went out and I I basically I put on Twitter and I said look I'm coming to New Zealand I want to look at forage management grass and management um I am happy to you know work for a couple of days for B&B in return for B&B and I got so many offers oh I bet you did and I I went out there and I had a whale of a time I met so many great people I learned so much I am still in contact with most of them and yeah it was incredible I absolutely loved it Mm. so so um obviously you put a tweet out so how has social media um changed farming changed the conversations you're having or education because I see you on LinkedIn that's um, not LinkedIn at all um Instagram that's my my main platform of choice Instagram's definitely my main platform as well I'm a much more of a lurker on <laughs> I tend to watch what other people say and if I've got a question then I'll post it but yeah that kind of tends to be every once every I don't know every other month or something um whereas Instagram I'm uh, yeah I'm on every day um, <laughs> um I think w- with Instagram I've just met so many other like-minded people that want to change the general public's perception of the industry um Obviously, we've just had Farm 24, which was amazing and the biggest it's ever been. Oh, I know. There's so many, oh, weren't there? Oh, my gosh. It was so incredible. Like, I kind of just watched it last year. I didn't really do anything for it. And, like, this year, you know, I felt the love as well because so many people were like, oh, you know, mixed farmer to go and see and watch on Farm oh, 24. Oh, yeah. You were like... And I got so many tags. I was like, oh, my gosh. So that was that was amazing. I was on top of the world with that. Um, but, yeah, just chatting to so many like-minded people that want to learn, want to better themselves and also want to change the way that our consumers view our industry because we are villains. Like that's there's no other way to put it. People see us as villains or they they just see us as destroying the planet and yeah, I don't, I don't know, don't bite the hand that feeds you, but yeah. at the same time farmers think... can be awkward as well, yeah. so we probably yeah. don't do the best for our Well, that's what I've been thinking like reputation. do you think though with the whole covid thing that there's actually more love for farmers now yeah, definitely so, because like the vegan thing has just gone away it has disappeared <laughs> i didn't yeah. say that actually but it has i'm like because we've been overtaken with covid so it just sort of shows there's been so much love for like the local farm shop the yeah. local farmer yeah there has and i think when when there was this whole stockpiling scenario and supermarkets 
like struggled to keep up a bit. People were looking at other places to go and reliable sources. Um, we we actually sell lamb boxes directly oh, off the farm, so cool. um, we had so many inquiries just suddenly as soon as like even before lockdown when there was like hints of what was going to happen. People were messaging like, "Do you have any lamb available? Have you got any lamb?" And it was like, "Oh my gosh! Like we best we best get an order sorted." Yeah. Um. So yeah, and the ha- yeah there has been so much more appreciation, but I don't think it's all. I don't think it's all the fault of the consumers at all. Like I, there is this stereotype around farmers being grumpy and moaning. Yeah. And that has got to have come from somewhere. So <laughs> yes. I have definitely met my fair share of them that are. And, you know, it's like moaning about people using the footpaths and, you know, if they leave the gates open or they're littering or they're leaving dog muck or the dogs are off leads, that's one thing. But just moaning because they're there, I like I love seeing footpath walkers utilising them because I think the best way for them to learn about where their food comes from is for them to be out there and see it. Like, you know, we're really lucky. We've got a block of grassland where it's grass and arable and it's covered in footpaths right behind the local village. Um, But we are so lucky with the people there, like the local social media group, if we have a lamb that's lame or an animal that's in trouble or something's happened, there's a gate open or anything, we know straight away because it's all on Facebook suddenly. (laughs) But, like, we don't have problem with dog attacks. We, there is dog muck about. We do get dog muck left about and littering and we have to lock all the gates because otherwise gates would be left open. But that is a very small minority of them. The majority of those walkers are very, very responsible, and I really appreciate that. Like, I love seeing them out and about, and long may it continue, especially when lockdown came in, and that's all people could yeah, do. They yeah. were everywhere, yeah. and it's great. I mean, that's a really good, positive um, attitude, because, like you say, so many landowners do moan oh, about this, but again, it's just the minority who maybe like the litter and yeah. the muck and stuff. And that's the same with farmers as well. Yeah. Like, it's the minority that are moaning and grumpy, but everybody remembers the bad yeah so 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 I think like social media especially like Instagram it's so visual and I think it's doing so such wonders for getting that positive message yeah and like that real sense of community so I, I love seeing the stories and it's sort of like well you know you play, <laughs> oh, you play with uh what's it farm farm and food down in Cornwall Oh, oh yeah, farm, um, farm food life. Farm food life, and it's like yeah. alive or dead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we do. So the alive yeah, or so, dead game is. Uh... Yeah, Je- so yeah, Jeffrey. Will, I think Jeffrey started that, and he, yeah, um, he tagged something. Did he start or alive? I can't remember who started it now, but yeah, it was when stock are com- livestock are completely zoned out, <laughs> and they just lay on their side dead to the world because <laughs> it always is isn't it like oh my god is it alive or dead and yeah, yeah is so, this another dead sheep or cow yeah so <laughs> i i oh love seeing that and those like oh i'm just putting the um chickens in what are you doing you know yeah, what, at Claire's, what you know yeah. from like what have you and i think it's just it's built this real nice community yeah and you meet some other many other people yeah like when you tag someone else in it you're like oh just check out their yeah. account and you're like whoa look at what this person's doing and like chatting to other people like um, there's one person I chat to especially a lot. So um, Gemma Harding, she's down in Dorset and she is just Wonder Woman. And if I have a question or I put something on that I'm not sure about, usually I can get a solid opinion or a good answer off Gemma. So yeah, a lot, a lot of time for her. Um, but th- th- but there, there are so many people I like know. that. She's just the one that sticks in my mind. And that's the thing, isn't it? I think it's um, for a community 
of people farming is sort of has got smaller I think Instagram has just opened up so much and like I think Twitter's quite prevalent isn't it with some of the you know Twitter is really good yeah Yeah. Um, but like like I say I only use Instagram so that's all I see really yeah I mainly use and I think it's just like linked up the whole country if you're obviously on and it makes you feel so much less alone like yeah you know so I have this real thing that um and I was guilty of it as well. So you take a video or a photo of livestock and you're like, oh, I can't show that because it's showing a lame sheep. And it's like, oh, I'll take a different one. I'll make yeah. sure I take the video from the front of the flock rather than the stragglers at the back. And then I was like, but we've all got them. We've all got lame sheep. <laughs> yes. We've all got that slightly scraggy cow. We've ev- They are everywhere. We've all got that patchy field that yeah. looks not the best. And it's like... Why are we hiding this? Why aren't we talking about it and discussing the problems and finding solutions? Like, you know, if I, I feel like if I'm honest about it, then someone else will be honest yeah. about it. And then you don't have, you know, if you've got someone that's maybe new and starting out and if all they're seeing is perfection. Oh my God, it would be heartbreaking. Yeah, like, oh and they're not. And it's like, I just, I just want people to know that whether you're starting out or you've just returned home or something, you know, nobody has got this completely sussed yeah. I promise we are and, all learning and I think that's really good to show like the honesty because um like I used to organize farm walks but we'd only ever go to really really good farms and they would obviously always put anything that was ill or you know not looking as best it would it. be it would be hidden so you're not really ever seeing that full no. you know and you, it, they may be really really interesting but you come away from it like oh god I'm failing yeah and it's like you're not there's a whole shed yeah <laughs> <laughs> not a whole shed but yeah. there's a shed you only some... ever see the good bits yeah and I'm determined to target that so that, that's really good I think it's such a positive message that you and so many other farmers putting out there so what does farming mean to you um this is gonna sound so cliche it is a lifestyle and not a job um you know i um like you know ex-boyfriend he did not he was not from a farming background he just did not get the fact that i don't work nine to five he (laughs) could not comprehend it at all um and when, when we when we split up, he was like, oh, I just think you need to find yourself a farmer. <laughs> I was like, right, <laughs> okay. So, um, you know, it's just, you don't ever really switch off from it. Like, especially, you know, I can have days off, but unless I actually leave the farm, yeah, it's not a day off. Like, this whole COVID, I, none of us had been away from the farm for months, you know, and I came back from New Zealand. We went straight into lambing. So it was like lambing lockdown. And then it was proper lockdown. Uh, yeah. So, you know, none of us had been anywhere. And then when it was lifted slightly, my mum and dad went away for three nights. And then my uncle and aunt went away for three nights. And then this week it was my oh, turn. Your turn. And I went up to stay with a friend in Yorkshire and he's farming as well. <laughs> so it was, it was, it was a busman's holiday. And I went up and I just worked with them. But, you know, I didn't need a break from the work. I just maybe needed a break from it being our farm yeah so not having to actually think that mental pressure and also different faces different people different scenery like a change is as good as a break so yeah it is a lifestyle it's you you have to love it like I I adore it and I just yeah I I don't know how else that's that is what farming means no I can really see like um since the start of the conversation that you 
when you're talking, your like your face is alight with joy <laughs> for it, um, oh, which gosh. is and it's, that's great because that comes across. It'd be you know if it wasn't, it'd be like oh that's not great. Probably not your career. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Go back and do another degree. But um, yeah. <laughs> so what's like what's so let's like what's the worst thing about farming? Um, probably. Probably the isolation sometimes, which it probably isn't so bad for me because I work with my dad and uncle and we're all very much, we're all a very positive mindset and we do uh, bounce off each other. So important. But I, do, if I, I think if any of us worked on our own, we wouldn't be that positive. Yeah. We wouldn't, you know, this year has been so hard, especially. And my dad said not that long ago, he said, you know, if I didn't work with you and Tom, I would have really, really struggled this winter. You know, the pressure of not having the crops in the ground and yes. the rain just not stopping and then followed by such a dry <laughs> spring. If he was like, if I'd been on my own, I, I don't know if I'd have coped. And that's, yeah, probably isolation. Um, farm safety, another massive one. Yes. Um, one of our local farmers last year was killed in a farm accident. Oh, um, he was a member of our young farmers, mm. so that hit us all massive, yeah. Yeah, massively. Um, that was just over a year ago. Um, and, you know, agriculture is the deadliest industry. It is, sadly. And how do we how do we combat that and change mindsets? It's, it's happening. You know, Yellow Ellies and the NFU are doing amazing things, but it is steady and it's still, the numbers are still too high. Yeah, um, I, I think even something as simple as getting time away from the farm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Absolutely. so many farmers don't go away, don't, mm. you know, work. There seems to be this sort of mentality of I must work every hour. And it's like, yeah. actually, if I'm not no. working every hour, then I'm not doing enough. Yeah. And yeah. it's that, I think that, and then just so people are rested, they're not as tired, so then they're not making Yeah, you don't make mistakes. mistakes yeah, it's that's men- yeah, mental and physical. That yeah. one getting away is, is vital, you know. So important. I said, you just, even if you have a day off, or like a day where you kind of say, right, I'm I'm going to have Saturday or Sunday off. If you're still here, it's it, does, it just no. doesn't happen. Like, even can, if you only still- potter and you do like things at a half rate, you're still... Yeah. about the farm you're still thinking about it you still don't switch off from it yeah. you're still like i need to go and have a look at that that yeah. you down there or that that fence needs propping up or there's always something to yeah. do if you're away and you can't do it then you relax about it a bit more I, yeah generally unless it's something really really major and then you probably shouldn't have gone away yeah, but. yeah it's just like a big thing um, and so yeah. what's like the best thing then um it's, uh this is probably an easy but a broad answer for me. Um, there is nothing more rewarding than turning livestock out onto grass come spring. So whether it be ewes with fresh lambs oh, yeah. or the cattle after they've been inside over winter, I there I don't think I have a I don't think there's a job that I prefer. That is that is a great thing. site, isn't it? Yeah, and and also like lambing and calving. Yeah, I, mean, I will New never. Life. You know, I've never. I've. I've seen so many sheep and cattle give birth and it never ceases to amaze me. It's always, I'm always in awe every single time. Yeah, I'm so. just like, like how they just get on with it and just yeah, like yeah, their, that ability, A, to yeah. like give birth and like clean it, it's up and then the lamb or calf is up and feeding. I'm just up. like, wow. Yeah. Like that's just... It is, it's incredible. And that, yeah, that is hands down the best. Like I love the arable side as well, but you know, I, I I just think there's nothing more rewarding than a field of good cattle with the sun on their backs. You know, I can yeah. 
you know, I can look at a good good field a week, but <laughs> it's like, oh, that's that's nice. Whereas I can sit for hours. And I like watch a, cattle yeah. and sheep. Yeah, cattle especially. I like a field of wheat when there's a combine going through it. Yeah, when there's something going uh, on yeah. with it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like being able to sit and watch and your you live see the yield monitor. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the price is good. <laughs> but yeah, just. But yeah, that seeing that the livestock, yeah, yeah, quiet speak. cattle or fit lambs, yeah, like when they're just all like you can just look at them like, oh my god, they are so happy, yeah, they're content, they're either just like the sun is shining, yeah. they've got grass beneath their feet. <laughs> oh my gosh, there is nothing better. As we say, that sitting here under a tree in the rain, it's <laughs> great. I know, I know. Come back. I was, I was trying to picture an idyllic lifestyle here. Yeah, <laughs> you've ruined it. Oh, it's alright. It's this is a this is great British summertime. But it is. Yeah, all the birds are out mid August and it's peeing swallows. It now wafting around and yep. getting the insects so thank you so much You're it's welcome. been lovely i could keep speaking to you but um we should uh, wrap it up um so if you is it like just one final message that you'd want to just say um don't be deterred um i think you know we face so many issues within the industry now and whether you are directly on farm or if you are working in one of the other incredible and vital roles within the industry um you know keep up the good work and remember how much of a public face we are you know even though we don't actually see people we are held so accountable and we need to keep improving that we are there are so many of us that are so good at it now and so good at educating and explaining and being really transparent but it can't it can't stop here it has to keep going you know it's only going to get harder so yeah you know smile at the general public and be honest i think that's a really important message and yeah i think you and your fellow farming instagrammers are doing an absolute fabulous job of that yeah and um, there are some amazing profiles out there that do so much work yeah. for it and and I, I just like, you know, from, I just feel so proud and I see you all doing it. It's just like, oh, and it's, yeah. So, no, thank you. For, and, uh, yeah, keep up the really good work. <laughs> Thanks. So what an absolute pleasure to spend time with Charlie on her farm. Just a really inspiring uh, young farmer. Uh, she has always worked on the farm with the family um, working with her dad and uncle Tom getting out there on the tractors and combines and working with the livestock going to university um, and really embracing her course there and then of course obviously going off in a year out and uh, being a really good advocate for her class dealership and just getting yeah involved and then coming back and wanting to learn more, really taking uh, part in Young Farmers and her wider community. And then, you know, plowing for the NSA and like going on courses. Surrounding yourself with people and the right people is so important. And it's so important in any industry to showcase yourself so that other people can dream of becoming someone like you as well. So certainly um, we're seeing more women in agriculture and that's because women are showing themselves in agriculture. So it's just showing that it is a, a career option that is available to other women. And then, you know, showcasing yourself that you have applied for something like the NSA or bursaries or Nuffield, it shows that actually, yes, 
I can apply for that as well and I could achieve the um, bursary to go off and travel and learn and come back and then help educate. I love talking to farmers. I love the inspiration that I come away with um, and the knowledge. There are so many amazing things going on out there and just even looking at Instagram it just opens up this whole new world and I am so proud when I look at Instagram and seeing what our farmers are doing, they're putting themselves out there, they're putting their stories out there, their farm to help educate, to inspire and I just think that is an amazing thing. So if you haven't yet um, joined Instagram, if you're still on Twitter or just on Facebook, go and have a look and just sort of find some accounts, start following and really be inspired to tell your story as well because it is needed. We do need um, as farmers and people that work in the farming industry to showcase ourselves, to showcase how our food is grown and just showcase, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, and just to really inspire people, inspire people who want to come into agriculture, inspire those farmers who may be feeling a bit glum and feeling alone, but also just to inspire the British public that we are doing an amazing job rearing, growing the food that our British public are eating. So thank you very much, Charlie. Thank you to our farmers. Stay safe, stay well.